have a seat. It's great to have you here at Bay Life Church this morning as we worship Jesus, only Jesus. He alone is worthy of our praise. Uh, I'm going to come out in just a little bit and preach to you. We're going to hear more about Jesus from the book of Luke, but we've been hearing lots about Jesus just through the songs that we've been singing this morning. I hope, I hope you see this opportunity of, of singing these songs as an opportunity for you to learn about who you're singing of. This song just taught the text that I'm going to preach this morning, pretty much. It says that Jesus is able to save us. Jesus is able to raise us from the dead. Jesus sets the captives free. Jesus, only Jesus. He's our hero. Right? I grew up loving heroes, still do. Got me some Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. Even watched a little black and white Lone Ranger. Anybody old enough for that one? Yeah, hi-ho silver. But all those healer, those heroes, just they, they pale in comparison to the one true hero. It's, it's Jesus. He's our hero. Heroes exist because there's bad, right? We wouldn't need heroes if there wasn't bad. But because there's bad, there's bad guys. And because there's bad guys, we need heroes to save us, right? And unfortunately, we live in a bad, bad world. There's, there's, there's a mess caused by sin. And you're plagued by it. I'm plagued by it. It holds us back. We need a hero. So Jesus is that hero. I don't know if you ever sing the songs thinking about that, those kinds of thoughts. You're my hero. But I want you to stand. We're going to sing this song one more time. Stand with me. We're going to sing this one more time. And if you haven't gotten here yet, if you're still finishing your bagel, if you're still thinking about what happened last night or, or dreaming of what's going to happen the, the rest of the day, I want you to get here. I want you to recognize who you're singing about. I want you to lift your voices in praise to Jesus, only Jesus. We stand amazed because he stands alone as our hero. for the sermon. We're going to continue to celebrate our God as we open his word. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this chance to give you praise, to to lift our voices in honor of you and of your son. Uh, He's our hero. Thanks for sending him, for your love for us that made it all happen. These gifts, they're just a token of the gratitude that we want to live our lives with. You've given us all. Uh, We just want to give some of it back to you so that you get the deserve. Use these things, God, for your glory. Use this time that we have now in your word uh, to open our eyes to you and to your gospel. Uh, Lead us to a life that is constantly affected by your good news, that you've come to set captives free and to open blind eyes and and to free us from our oppression. You've come so that we might experience grace and the favor of you. It's just a a blessing, God, that, that we can even talk about this, let alone experience it. And so we just want to give this time to you. I want to give my, my voice to you, my heart to you, my mind to you. Speak through me. Uh, help us to hear and to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers, to live this gospel out to the glory of your name. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, as we take the offering, you can turn in those. To Luke chapter 4, as we continue the series we started uh, back at Christmas, uh, officially called it Jesus Is, I think, in the beginning of January, but we're talking through the book of Luke and discovering who Jesus is. Uh, it's been a great weekend here. Uh, like uh, Mike told you at the beginning, Michael told you at the beginning that we uh, 
We had some, some technical difficulties. I feel like I should be like holding a microphone and rapping, you know, with all these uh, speakers up here right now. What, what? Anyway, um, <laughs> but our, uh, our sound and tech team just did an awesome job. Can you give them one more round of applause? They just, speaking of heroes, they were heroic this morning and making it possible for us to be amplified. Um, but we also had a great prayer conference here on Friday and Saturday night, or Friday Friday night and Saturday morning. Uh, many of you were a part of that. It was a blast just to get together and uh, take those uh, times uh, that we had just to focus in on prayer. I pray that we as a church grow in this area of prayer and that we'd see God uh, doing great things through us as a result of him answering those prayers. But we're going to continue this morning talking about Jesus in the, the book of Luke. Uh, we've already found out some great things about him. Uh, last week we found out that he's able to topple our tempter. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's with us whenever we face temptation. Uh, he is uh, our, our constant source of strength. And in the story of Luke, we're going to skip forward now in Jesus' life, you know, some 8, 9, maybe 10, 12 months uh, into a time of life where he comes back to where he's from in a place called Nazareth. And today we're going to find out that Jesus is the man in the scroll. Uh, back in those days, they didn't have, you know, iPads that had Bibles in them. They had uh, scrolls that were wrapped up or rolled up and placed in boxes in the synagogues. And the, and the Jews of the time would, would read from the scrolls, from the scriptures on the, on the parchment, and, and it would be a, what would source their, their discussions together when they gathered on the Sabbath. We're going to find out that Jesus hangs out on this day, and, and he reads a particular part. I'm going to read it to you in just a second from the book of Isaiah. And it's this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And he gets done reading and he says, hey, I'm here. I mean, it's the first time in the book of Luke, at least, that, that he has clearly elucidated, clearly explained uh, his purpose here in life, his purpose for being, his purpose for, for doing all the things that he's doing. It's his, it's his explanation of the gospel. It's his explanation of who receives the gospel. He's very clear about the audience, the recipients of, of his words, of his good news. And then he's, he's going to show through the actions that take place following his, his sermon uh, that not everybody is going to accept his gospel. Did you know that? You know why this church isn't like, you know, ten times its size and has ten times more services? Do uh, you know why that happens? Because most of Brandon is sleeping right now. Because most of Brandon doesn't care about Jesus or his gospel. No, that's hard and sad and unfortunately true, but it's been that way since the beginning. From the time that Jesus was explaining this whole good news of his, people have been lining up to either uh, accept it and agree or to reject it and tell him he's crazy. Uh, we still do that. You know, a lot of us have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and, and we did that at some point where we put our faith in what he did on the cross to save us from our sins. But we thought that that was a one-time thing. It's this, you know, one-time uh, good news response. But I would submit to you that I'm up here every week telling you to respond to the good news in your daily life, from situation to situation to circumstance to circumstance, for you to believe that Jesus is your hero, that he is available to you in this, this prison, whatever's got you wrapped up, in this, in this area that's got your eyes shut and you're blinded, in this, in this oppressive thing that is holding you back in life. He's, he is your source. Not just one time, but in all things. He's this man in the scroll. And so let's start reading the story. And uh, we'll see that the man in the scroll is Jesus, and he's the hope of the world. Verse 14 in Luke chapter 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Uh, this, these are the nine months that kind of transpire before we get to this actual instance in Scripture. He's moving around this region. Here we go. Uh, Israel, Mediterranean Sea. Dead Sea down here, all right? Jordan River, Sea of Galilee. It's actually just this little itty-bitty lake. It's only about six miles across. Like if, if you stand on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, you can see the whole thing. That way, that way, that way. It's just, it's, it's just this little carved-out hole in these mountains. And it's in this region of the north that most of Israel's population, uh, you know, gathered because you could do crops and things like that. The Dead Sea region's all desert. Down in Judea, new, near Jerusalem, that's down here. Uh, there, was, there was a more populous area, but... It was pretty much separated by the desert, south and north. Jesus was from the north. He lived over here in Nazareth. You see it? And so Jesus, after he uh, is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, uh, he starts his, 
his trek around Israel. He, he does laps around Israel, for, say, well, for lack of a better way of explaining it. And, uh, and he just kind of is heading north, and, and he, a few things happen. He stops off in, in Cana of Galilee for a wedding. Remember that one? And he turns water into what? Pino, right? Yeah. And uh, <coughs> uh, <laughs> that was his first miracle. Uh, and everybody, you know, was like, whoa, the carpenter's got skills, right? This guy's, it's something going on. I didn't even see the Kool-Aid packets. I mean, he, he did this whole thing, knocked it out. And so his legend grew. And as he would go from town to town, he would, he would stop off on the Sabbath. We're going to see that in just a second. It was his habit to stop off on the Sabbath and teach. And he was, a, he was an incredible teacher. You read that all through the Gospels. This guy, I mean, take your favorite teacher and multiply him by infinity. This guy was just so great, just capturing them with the power of his words. Uh, he met a guy named Nicodemus. Remember him? John chapter 3. He says that verse that we all quote and put up in our end zones, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever... I mean, he's, he's explaining the gospel uh, on his various stops. But here in Luke, it's the first time as he heads home to Nazareth, like I told you earlier, that he clearly outlines his purpose. And he uses the book of Isaiah in the synagogue there in Nazareth. So he's, he's kind of been walking around uh, by the power of the Spirit throughout the Galilean region. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Uh, verse 15 says... Uh, he taught in their synagogues and was glorified by all. Everybody was getting hyped up about Jesus. Verse 16 says, and he came to where? Nazareth. And, and he, had, he had been brought up there. Hometown. You know, uh, hometown boy makes good. And uh, comes back in home. I mean, can you imagine everybody? He's coming into town. He's got some followers with him. And, and uh, you know, it's a pretty small town, so everybody would know he was there. And, you know, I remember you, you know. Uh, you knocked over my... You know, date cart. Uh, they had dates back then. Not anyway. You know, but uh, you made the table that's in my kitchen, right? Because he was a carpenter. I mean, this, these are the kinds of interactions that were happening with all these people in Nazareth. Uh, hey, Jesus, it's great to see you. See you at synagogue. And that's where we see him next. This was his custom. He went to the synagogue, and it was on the Sabbath day, which is which day? Saturday. We're sorry, we're off. Anyway, but anyway, uh, don't don't. Don't be fussed out about that. We're fine. Uh, and he stood up uh, at, at that Sabbath day gathering in the synagogue to read. Now, just real quick about church back then. If you went to a synagogue, it wasn't unlike what we experienced. If you would go to a synagogue as a Jewish, uh, you know, worshiper, you would start off with Psalms 145 through 150 in some form being sung at the opening of the service. If you want to read those Psalms in your Bible, they're pretty much right in the middle. And, uh, and they're all Psalms of praise. That's how they would open their synagogue services. Uh, they would move from that to the Shema. Anybody ever heard of the Shema? It's the prayer of Israel. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And from the time you were a little, little boy or girl, you would have memorized the Shema so that when you gathered, it was like them saying their Pledge of Allegiance. You know, they just knew it. And they would repeat it uh, at the signal of the leader of, of that service. Everybody would start speaking the Shema. The Lord our God is one, Right? Now, they would go from that to eight, 18 more benedictions. Who grew up Catholic? Anybody grew up Catholic? I remember the first time I went to a Catholic church. I didn't know the lines. Did, has anybody been to the Catholic church for the first time? You're like, I don't know the lines. Oh, oh, kneel down. You know, I'm up. Okay. Uh, and I loved it, but I just felt lost. But those of you who grew up in the Catholic church, you knew this was liturgy. This is, this is how this worked. And so you just knew when to say what. And, you know, peace be to you and to you. Oh, I missed that one. And, and uh uh, but they would have these 18 benedictions. All a benediction is is a, is a, is a word of, of goodness or a word of grace. Bene, goodness, diction, word. It, that's, that's all they do. And they, the, the, the worship leader would say one, and they'd say it back. There was 18 of them that they would go through. Bup, 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 bup. Okay? Then it would be time for preaching. You guys think that we have long services. They had two sermons. Yeah, how about that? Quit complaining. All right, anyway, uh, they would have two sermons because uh, someone would go uh, to the box where they held their, their, they had one Bible or one set of scriptures that was for the entire town. It would be in a box there in the synagogue. And someone would go to the synagogue and first pull out the Torah, which is the law. And it would be our first five books of the Old Testament for the most part. But they would go to the law and they would read something from the law. And then someone in the synagogue would be appointed to speak on that section of scripture in the Torah. He'd finish. And then the next person... Uh, would would send uh, the 
I call them the, the, the scroll caddy. They had one guy who was in charge of picking up the scrolls and laying it out so that you could read it. And the, and the scroll caddy would go get uh, the, 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 pro, the scrolls of the prophets. So we had Torah, and now we're going to have the prophets. And this is where Jesus is about to stand up. So has everybody picked up kind of what's happened so far in the synagogue? It's time to have the Sermon on the Prophets. And, G- and Jesus has been tapped as the guest speaker. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Now, if you want to read this in your book of Isaiah, it's in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and, and, and 2, and then Isaiah 58, verse 6. Okay? He kind of took those two sections and he smashed them together, and this is what he got. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, continue, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads those things, and then it says in verse 20, that he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the scroll caddy, and then he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. All right, this ought to be good. I mean, we've heard about him. We've heard about his miracles. He's back home. He's just read this portion. We're here at synagogue, all eyes on him. Everybody's ready. Pens are ready, right? I don't know if they had pens. And this is what he said. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom! Drop the mic, walk off the stage. Right? No one else has ever preached that. They might have read this scroll, this section of Isaiah, I don't know how many times, but no, no teacher in that synagogue had ever said, it's me. I'm your guy. The scripture that I have just read to you has been fulfilled, and don't miss it. He's saying it's been fulfilled in me. What? Now, like I just explained to you, it was customary then that when you would start a sermon like this, you'd finish it with an explanation of the text. Like I I get up and preach to you. I don't preach you Mark unless we're in the book of Mark, but I, but I preach you the Bible, right? And so Jesus probably, we don't have evidence of this, but he probably said more than this. He gave them an explanation uh, as, as to why he was able to say this with such authority. Now, at least that's what I think. But even if it, it didn't turn out that, let's just, just, let's, just, let's just try to understand what Jesus would have said if he had preached this message. Okay, the first thing he would have said is, listen, uh, he would have said, uh, that he was being led and anointed by the Spirit. I, I told, I just told you that today this is fulfilled, and here's why. The Holy Spirit is on me. Maybe you heard the story of my baptism. And everybody went like, oh, yeah, we heard about that. You saw John in the wilderness, just like the rest of me. You know, I, I saw John, and he says, yeah, you heard my story in the baptism where I was being baptized by John, and he said, no, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Yeah, we heard about that. And you remember the, the, the people there, witnesses there, saw the Holy Spirit descend on me like a dove it was like a visual. They're like, yeah, my uncle was there. He told me. And that the voice of God the Father came from heaven and said, you are my son in, in who I am well pleased. Yeah, someone told me that too. Okay, so if you've heard that story, that's all I'm telling you. I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the Holy Spirit is on me. He's led me and anointed me. He's led me into the wilderness where I was tempted by Satan. He's, he's led me through these first eight, nine, ten months of my ministry uh, throughout uh, Israel. He was enabling me to turn water into wine. The Holy Spirit is on us. All he's trying to say is, listen, this isn't my idea that I concocted while I was, you know, making benches with my dad to somehow, you know, find a place and take over Israel. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you go back far enough, the angels sang about my arrival. I wasn't there to remember, but uh, my birth happened because the Holy Spirit appointed this time. I am here at the bidding of God. He goes on. He says, the Holy Spirit has anointed me and appointed me. Uh, oh, there's the verse. I'm sorry. I'll get to that next time. My bad. And he gave them. He says, listen, I'm here to give good news. If you ever read the gospel of Mark, the gospel of John, if you ever wonder what the word gospel means, it just means good news. I'm here to spread some good news. 
My good news isn't going to be the good news that maybe you're expecting. I'm not here to take over Rome. I'm not here to make sure that we get all the boundaries that were promised to our father Abraham set. But I am here to give good news. I'm going to give good news to a particular audience. That's the next thing. The good news has a specific recipient. It's the poor. Let's read that verse. Again, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to say it with me to proclaim good news to the who? To the poor. Now, there's this entire branch of theology in in our current world structure in the Christian church that has kind of abandoned the whole we need to be saved by grace through faith thing. Like, we're just Christian. Yeah, everybody get over that. But our, our true thrust is that we're here to defend the weak. We're here to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. They've made their entire mission as a church not the gospel for the spiritually poor, but this good news for the materially poor. And they focus entirely on meeting men's needs uh, on this plane. Uh, Maybe you come from one of those churches. You didn't hear much about Jesus and having a saving faith in him, having a relationship with him because they overemphasize let's make a difference in our world. Some people actually believe that if we can finally just make sure that everybody has enough, that this will usher in the the return of Jesus. He's just waiting for everybody to kind of have the same amount of stuff. Isn't that interesting? We don't believe that. But that's one of the abuses of this text. The good news is for the poor, and they take it as strictly material. But what do we understand? This good news is not just for the, and, and, and let me just say this real quick before I move on. Is it good to help the poor? Oh, you better believe it. Jesus was talking about some sheep and goats, and he says, you know, I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was hungry, you gave me to eat. You know, there is, there is a manifestation of God's grace to us that should lead us to, to, to a, you know, providing for those who don't have physical, the physical things that they need. Okay, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's not all of it. Are you with me? What the, what the real thrust of what Jesus is saying is that I have come for those who realize that they are poor in spirit. He started another sermon at another time in Matthew chapter 5 uh, with those lines. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's going to unpack the gospel for him. He says, listen, it all starts when we realize that we have spiritual need. The gospel then is for people who realize that they need some good news. The good news is for those who realize that they need some good news. And that's true of us, isn't it? Have you ever been given something you're like, eh, I don't need that, and it's not that big a deal? Christmas just happened. How many of those were your gifts, right? Oh, great. More tube socks. Awesome. Thank you. You had to force yourself to be like, oh, so appreciate. I knew you needed them. Yeah, not really. No. I don't need more socks. But have you ever got something you really needed? A little different reaction, right? And, and the reason you have a reaction to something that you really needed is because you knew you really needed that. I mean, if you've ever been to a point where physically you are in, in great need and someone comes in and miraculously, by the power of the Spirit, provides for that need, you, you understand gratitude at a different level than most of us ever have. But it comes from that knowledge of your need, right? My son Cooper... He's 19 years old. He's going to college at ACC. Uh, he's, he's, he's progressing steadily towards being out of my house and being on his own. I'm making sure of that, okay? <laughs> and I'm trying to give him more and more responsibilities because at some point, we're cutting this thing off. You're on your own, and I want you to be ready for it. I don't want it to be like a shock. Oh, what do you mean i got to pay for myself? What? And so he's gotten a car, and he's paying me for it. He's got to pay for his insurance. He's got to pay for his gas. And sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you, he has more month than check, right? Or at least he has more activities that he wants to get done than his gas budget will provide for. So he'll be like four or five days away from payday, and he'll have it all calculated in his head. My needle is here. And if I go to school four times next week, back and forth, it's going to be here. So this weekend, with all the things that my friends want to do, I'm not going to do them. Because I need to get, and I, I'm so grateful to have a kid who's responsible like that, who can say no to himself, and who, you know, conserves his fuel in this case. Uh, but, but he's missing out on some of the things he'd like to do. It's kind of a bummer for him. He'd love to go out with his friends and do, you know, hey, Cooper, you want to go and do this? Oh, man, I can't. Why? 
Well, because I just have enough gas to make it to chemistry, you know, or whatever. And so I heard one of those phone calls one night. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, what a bummer. You know, he can't, I mean, you know, I'm so, I'm so pleased that he's conserving, but what a bummer. He can't go out and do some of his friends. So I said, hey, Coop, here's the deal. Your brother goes to school. We pay more for him because he goes to out of, you know, out, out of town college. Uh, how about this? Every once in a while, I'll just fill up your tank so that you can go to school, and, and we'll just call it even. And, and it's like I gave him a billion dollars. <laughs> right? You do that? Really? Yeah, here, here's my Sam's card. Cheaper. And, here, and here's my credit card. Just take it down there to the gas, fill it up, bring it back to me, have fun. For real? And my, my son Cooper is, like, giving this celebration. So he came up, I mean, and he hugs like it hurts when he hugs. You ever have one of those hugs? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bam! You know, he wraps his wiry arms around me and just hugs me. I'm like, whoa, hey, dude, it's just a tank of gas. Like, if you gave me a tank of gas, I'd be like, oh, thanks. But you give someone who doesn't have any a little different story. So everybody look at me. If you're here this morning, you're kind of kicking the tires on the Jesus thing, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to make any sense to you until you figure out that your tank is empty. Spiritually speaking, you got nothing. Well, I'm pretty good, though. No, you're not. No, really, I, there's people on my street that are bad. I'm not like them. Yes, you are. <laughs> you really are. Maybe you haven't been caught. Maybe you haven't gone to the extremes. But you don't get to grade out on sin. You don't, there's no curve. You're bad. You're broken. You're lost. And until you realize that, Jesus doesn't make any sense. That's why so many people are like, eh, don't need them. It's not because they don't need them. It's because they don't know that they need him. And they refuse to see their need. Jesus said, hey, man, I got some great news, but it's not going to be for everybody. It's going to start with and end with the poor, those who realize that they have need. I'm taking too long. That's never happened in the sermon before. Here we go. We're going to finally see that the good news has a specific audience, but the good news uh, is also a, a unique message. And let's go through them. Uh, you know th- these ideas of release, recovery, and restoration. The first thing that Jesus says is he says this. He says in verse yeah he says I, he, I have been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. That word captives there is actually a word that means prisoner, and it's actually a word that comes from war. If you were a prisoner of war, captured in war. It would be that same word that was used of you. So Jesus says, hey, just like Isaiah said, I'm the Messiah, and I've come, first of all, to those, in a spiritual sense, to those who know they need me, and I'm going to set those spiritually poor people free from this war that has enslaved them. Everybody understands we're in a spiritual war? That the forces of, of, of God and good uh, are, are fighting against the forces of his adversary, Satan, and evil? Now, it's not a fair war. Just so you know, we win. In the end, it's not a fair fight. It's going to end poorly for Satan and everybody who's following him. But, but for now, there's a tug-of-war for the souls and hearts of men. And, and Jesus says, listen, I've come to, to emancipate everybody who has been enslaved by my adversary in this war in the spiritual realm. Now, now our, our, our imprisonment comes in different forms right? Like Satan doesn't, you know, usually we're not like in the occult and we're worshiping Satan. Does anybody have a, like a, don't tell me if you do, but it, uh, like most of us aren't like lighting candles to the devil, right? He doesn't come front door like that. Usually he, he catches us in prisons of his, of his making. He, he, he uses things of this earth to, you know, to, to, to bind us up. And so we get caught in these, these prisons like money, self-sufficiency that comes from money. That's a prison, right? That can kind of shut somebody's eyes to their spiritual need. Why do I need Jesus? I got everything I want right here. Guilt. You know, I've done too much. There's no way that Jesus could save me. I'm I'm too bad. Sensuality. We would rather please our our our, our appetite or f- fulfill our earthly appetites, our our, our fleshly appetites, and, and 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 have all of the things that this world can. Hedonism is basically what I'm talking about. Why do I need a Savior? I have all that I need in what this world can provide me. How about anger and, and hatred? You think there's a little of that going on in the world today? And that hatred for man can keep us from a love for God. 
These are the prisons that Jesus was sent to free us from. He was sent not just to free us from prisons, but to, he, was, he was sent to open our eyes. That's what the recovering of, of sight to the blind is, is all about. <laughs> a lot of times we're in prison, we don't even know. I, I'm not a slave to my money. I'm, I'm not being held back by guilt. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, handcuffed to sensuality. I don't, I don't, I don't see that at all. Well, that's the problem, Right? And who's ever had that aha moment? Anybody been sitting in a math class? Remember that from your history? And you just, Pythagorean theorem? What is that? Who is this Pythagoras guy? Someone, string that guy up. This is crazy. And you sit there, I don't even know what it is, but you sit there and you try to figure it out. And a player, is it A squared plus B squared equals C squared? Is that the Pythagoras? Hey, how about that? <laughs> What's up? I remembered something. But you remember looking at that? It's like, let, what's with the letters and the little numbers? What's with, where's, the, where's the normal numbers? What are these little numbers up by the letters? What's that? First time you saw it? Oh. And you go in there and you fail quiz after quiz. And finally, the, the, finally the teacher says something one day and the, and the ice loosened, right? The dam broke. And you're like, oh, I get it. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And your eyes were open, right? Aren't those great moments? You know, everybody has to experience that spiritually. That's what Jesus came to do. Some of you, you're you're going through it right now. Like maybe you don't know Jesus yet, and you're like, man, my life stinks. I, I can't. Jesus is just smacking you over the head with his two-by-four, trying to get you to quit doing this. Quit just holding your eyes so closed that you can't. And he's trying to get you to open your eyes. Hey! So that you can see your need and move in faith towards it. He's doing the same thing with those of us who have already initially received Christ. Some of you are going through stuff right now, and you're doing this. God, why are you doing this? And God's looking at us and saying, because you're doing this. Because your eyes aren't open to me. Your faith isn't, isn't real in this area. You're not experiencing the good news in this part of your life. You've you got to let go and let me. Right? Jesus is our eye opener. And then finally, Jesus uh, has come to not just, uh, uh, not just to release us and restore, recover our sight, but he came to restore us. That's what this last line is, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So that word oppressed there, it was a word that was used uh, in like uh, pottery and in the building, uh, building trades. It was, a, it was a word that means broken into a thousand pieces, like shattered. That's the difference between someone who's imprisoned and someone who is oppressed. Someone who's imprisoned, you usually put yourself there and you're just willful and not, you know, seeing it. But someone who's oppressed, maybe there's someone who is earnest. They would love to honor God. And, but there's so many things going on in this sinful world that are making that difficult. Other people's sins are messing with my life. Other people's choices are making it hard for me. I'm, I'm in a situation, God, where I just don't know how I'm going to. There's no solution. And Jesus says, ah, oh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In your shatteredness, in, in your brokenness, I your deliverer. That's the good news. Isn't that great? I don't know how about how, how you roll on those things in life, but a lot of times it's hard things come to me. You know, Alan and I were talking this morning and, and there's just different things swirling around our family. We bought a house. We just had the budget meeting over how much it's going to cost to fix up our house. It's higher, right? And there's just other things swirling around. Just got done with a prayer conference, right? One of the conversations, that, you know, Eleanor and I had this morning, she said, aren't we going to pray about this? You're right. Because here's what we can happen. We can get so in the trees that we forget to see the forest, right? And get so mired in the stuff of life that I forget the good news. And the good news is, just like we talked about all weekend at the prayer conference, I can give this to God. He's way bigger than this stuff. He can handle this stuff. But I don't know about, you know, I... I tend to take the football and try to run myself. The good news is, is that Jesus came. He came to release and to recover and restore us in life. 
Here's what happened when Jesus was done maybe preaching this sermon that I just preached to you. Uh, Oh, he finished. He talked. Oh, this is great. He talked about the year of the Lord's Jubilee. Okay, who's heard about grace? Anybody heard about grace? Yeah, grace is this great thing. Everybody understands that grace is something that you receive that you, you don't deserve. Like it's the, you get the opposite of what you deserve. Every one of us, because of our sin, deserves God's wrath. But everyone, because of God's love, receives God's grace. How great is grace, right? This is one of the first times that Jesus explains grace to people. Because he says, hey, man, I've come so that the, the captive can be set free, the blind can see, so those who are oppressed can be freed. And I've come to usher in, to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee. Every good Jew in the entire synagogue would be like, Jubilee, the year of Lord's favor, that's Jubilee. And if you don't know about the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament, every 50 years in the, in the uh, Israeli calendar, all of the debts would be set at zero. Every, every, every offense, everything, everything that was owed would be wiped out every 50 years. In the, in, who wants that in the USA? Anybody want that in the USA? I mean, once in your lifetime, everything that you've accrued, the reason we don't have it, because in year 49, everybody's going bonkers, right? <laughs> I'm buying six houses because next year they're free. But every year in, the, in, in, in Israel, or every 50 years in Israel, the year of Jubilee will come. It was, it was the, the, the manifestation in the Old Testament of God's grace. No one paid their debts. No one provided for themselves. God did. And Jesus says here in this in this proclamation of himself through Isaiah. He says, I have come so that God's grace might exist in your life to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now the people there, I've got to finish this fast, they, they all spoke well of him. Great sermon! You knocked it out of the park! Two thumbs up! Four stars! Got all kinds of, you know, reviews on, on uh, Facebook or I don't know. And they marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But not for long. Because get this, not everyone who sees Jesus uh, sees him as the man in the scroll. Like people were sitting in that, that, that church, that synagogue, listening to Jesus say all this stuff. And while everybody else was saying, oh, someone from our hometown is the Messiah. This is awesome. There were other guys in the corner saying, doubt it. Whatever. It's in the Greek. I don't believe it for a second. You know why? Because here's what they said. They said this. Is this not Joseph's son? Everybody knows Joe, right? I mean, there's nothing special about this this kid. Yeah, he's back to town. We've heard some stories. Yeah, he preached a good sermon. But all the people in Nazareth were earlier from Missouri. It was a show-me state thing, right? You got to show me. Come on, buddy. You got to show me. Jesus came back to Nazareth another time. You want to hear about that? It's in the book of Matthew. Similar to this one. He comes back, preaches in the same way. He comes to his hometown, was taught in the synagogue, uh, so that they were all astonished again. And, And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? He goes on and it says, is not this the carpenter's son? Is, is not his mother called Mary? Answer, yes, yes. Uh, are not these his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? James wrote which book in the Bible? Genesis. Good. All right. Um, now, James, if you're confused by that. Sorry. All right. <laughs> it's just fun to have fun. All right. Uh, and are not these his sisters with us? Jesus had at least two sisters because it's plural. Where then did the, this man get all these, these things, these words to say, this, this reputation? Where did he get all this stuff? We know him. He's from Nazareth. He's one of us. And then the, it says this. It says in verse 57 here in Matthew 13, it says, And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Familiarity breeds contempt. And here's, here's, the, here's the deal with most of the world. They, they think they got Jesus figured out. I watched the hour-long documentary on the History Channel, and so now I know everything there is to know about Jesus, and I got them all pegged, and so I don't need to follow them. And these people from Nazareth. I grew up with this kid. He made my table. It's perfect, but uh, <laughs> that's weird. But, uh, but he's, you know, he's a carpenter. He's Joseph's kid. Twice he comes to Nazareth, get the same treatment. Here in the Luke passage, it says, is this not Joseph's son? 
That's kind of a trick question. Was Jesus Joseph's son? No. Stepson? But Joseph wasn't his dad. He's just the guy who raised him. Whose son was Jesus? God's son. If I was Jesus in that situation, I would have been like, no, I'm not Joseph's son. And then I would have made lightning come out of my fingers, and I would have just shot all of them down. How about that for an end of church, right? Wouldn't that be cool if God empowered all the pastors to just be able to shoot lightning out of their fingers at all the doubters at the end of every service? It'd be a smaller church. But I'd have fun, right? Problem is, I'd have to do this sometimes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that in the same crowd, people who were glorifying his name, praising God, amazed by his speech, there, there was people who were like, I doubt it. It's not him. The same people, maybe at the end of Jesus' life, uh, who laid their cloaks on the ground and waved palm fronds as he walked into Jerusalem on that Sunday were the same people who on Thursday night were gathered around Pilate and the rest of the officials from the temple saying, crucify him, crucify him. It took four days for it to wear off. How long has it taken you? You had those moments where Jesus, only Jesus is your song, and then the next day comes and you shake an angry fist in the face of your Savior and say, why are you doing this? You don't work. Yeah. We can go from accepting to rejecting pretty fast. But let me just give you a note of warning as we close up. Jesus is the Savior of those who accept him. There's a key component in, 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 the, in the whole arrangement that we have with God's Son. His effectiveness in our life is contingent of our faith in him in life. Did you hear me on that? What does James say about our prayers? We talked about it this weekend at the prayer conference. If you're going to pray, pray believing. Don't be double-minded. Don't be like a wave washed up on the shore. Pray in faith. And when you pray in faith, God hears your faith, your prayers of faith. But if we pray not believing, then, then there's a disconnect. There's a fray in the wire. Because our faith is what sets us free. He tells two stories. Well, let me read the verses real quick. He says this to him. He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. It's not in the, in the Proverbs. Don't look for it in there. It's just a saying from the time. But what was he saying? Doubtlessly you're going to say to me, because I'm from Nazareth, because I'm your doctor, you're going to want me to come out and do all these great things because you're Nazarethans. You know, just blow. If I did, listen, he says this. He says, uh, what we have heard you did in Capernaum, uh, you know, do here in your hometown as well. And go way beyond that. Hey, you turn, you turn water into wine? How about turning water into beer? That'd be awesome. You know, or I don't know what they were going to say. But we want to see something even better because we're hometown. We want the hometown discount. Give us more, right? Show us more. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. Because some of you, no matter what I do, you're not going to believe. And then he brings up a couple stories. Oh, he says that phrase from the, from the other story. He says, truly I say to you, a prophet is, is acceptable. Uh, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he tells two stories. And because I'm out of time, I'm just going to tell you both of them. He tells his first story. Well, I'll read this to you. I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Okay? We'll start with him. But Jesus went to a place called Zarephath. Or Jesus. Elijah went to a place called, go to the next verse, a place called Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Not the land of Israel. And he went to a, window, a widow who was there. I'll tell you that story in a second. He goes on and he says this. He says, and there, was a, many, there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. Elijah was first kings. Elisha was the, the, the next prophet. He's in second kings. He comes after Elijah. He was like his protege. And so Elijah's protege, Elijah, Elisha, is the prophet in, in, in this story. And uh, there were many lepers, uh, but none of those lepers in Israel were cleansed by Elisha. Only one guy named Naaman from Syria. So, so he tells two stories, one about Elijah and one about Elisha. The one about Elijah is a story where Elijah was in this three-and-a-half-year famine. Everybody's dying. There's all these widows in Israel, can't provide for themselves, but he doesn't save any of them. He's sent by God to a land outside of Israel called Sidon. 
in a town called Zarephath. And he meets this widow there, and the widow there has enough oil and flour to make one more tortilla. And she and her son are going to eat the tortilla, and then they're going to go die. And Elijah says to her, hey, listen, if you'll take from your tortilla and split it and give me half, you guys have some, but give me some, here's what I tell you. My God, the God of Israel, will make sure that your oil never runs out and your flour never runs out. Okay, now she could have been like, all right, I hear you. I hear you, strange man from another country. I hear you. I'm going to need some references. Do you have any video of you actually multiplying oil and flour? Because that would totally help me trust you enough to give you half of my last tortilla. She could have said that. Many of you are saying that to Jesus right now. Okay, Jesus, I'll trust you with this. But you're going to have to manipulate this. Anybody made the deal with Jesus before? Here's the deal. I'll follow you. I'll give you my whole life. I promise I'll pray to you every day if you do this one thing. She could have done that with Elijah. I'll trust you. But did she do that? Just so you know, she didn't. She said, all right. And she gave half the tortilla to Elijah, and it worked out just like Elijah said. They had survived the entire famine because God never let the flour run out. He never let the oil run dry. Faith. The Elisha story. Naaman the Syrian, he was the leader of the Syrian army, one of the mortal enemies of Israel, still to this day. And <laughs> all these lepers existed in Israel, and this, uh, as a goodwill uh, extension, the, the, the king of Syria says to the king of Israel, hey, I know you got a prophet down there who's apparently got miraculous powers. If you would heal my general, you know, that would go a long way in us having peace. Well, if you're tactically talking and you can ace the general of the army in another country, like there was probably, you know, uh, advisors around the king being like, oh, this is it. We didn't know he had leprosy. Awesome. We're going to have the upper hand. Their general's going to be dead soon. But Elisha comes in and says, I'll heal him. God told me I should heal him. Don't heal him. No, I'm going to. And so Naaman meets with Elisha, and Elisha says this to Naaman. He says, all right, Naaman, God wants to heal you. Here's how it's going to work. You're going to go down to the Jordan River. You're going to dunk seven times in the Jordan River. And after the seventh time, you'll be healed of your leprosy. You know what Naaman said? Awesome, let's do it. That's not what he said. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm Naaman. I'm the general of the Syrian army. I got a big sword. I could lop your head off, prophet. You want me to go and swim in your muddy Jordan River? I got rivers that put the Jordan River to shame up in Syria. If I'm going to swim in any river, I'm going home and swimming in mine. Anybody see the, the doubt in there? Not a person of faith yet. It says in, in the story in Second Kings that uh, Naaman's assistants came to him and said, Naaman, you, your body is falling off of you. You've got leprosy. You're going to die. And you're going to quibble with this prophet about where you bathe? Just trust him. What do you have to lose, right? And Naaman comes to the point and says, you know what? He's right. I'm sick. I'm poor. I need help. And by faith, he dunks seven times in the river. And guess what happens? Leprosy gone. All throughout Scripture, the condition of our, of our acceptance by God, our involvement with God, our life flourishing with God, it's faith. And now, just so we're clear, just because you have faith doesn't mean that God's will is going to change. Like you can by faith believe that your parents are going to be healed of their sickness and they might die because people die. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to connect with him. Without faith, we disconnect from God and his power. And Jesus said to these guys, listen, of course you don't, of course you don't believe, but you know what? You're just like everybody else who has not believed in God. And, and they're offended. They're so offended for two reasons. One, uh, he talked to them about Gentiles. Did everybody see that? The woman was from outside of Israel. Naaman was from outside of Israel. God brought his grace to people who weren't sons of Abraham. He was kind of setting them up. Hey, I'm going to take this thing to the Gentiles. Is anybody happy that he did? But he also said, listen, you who are just banking on the fact that your you know, bloodline is with Abraham, it's not what's going to work. It's faith. And it got him so mad, if I could read the text, it got him so mad that they decided they were going to kill him. That's how you treat the hometown hero when he comes home, right? Thanks for preaching. Let's not set that up as a system here at our church, by the way. 
If you don't like the sermon, you can't, like, pick me up and, you know, walk me out the Kingsway and throw me in traffic. That is not legal. You can't do that. But that's what these guys decided to do. We're going to take him to a cliff, a cliff that Jesus probably played on as a boy. And we're going to throw him off this cliff to his death. And the Bible says that they weren't able to do it because Jesus slipped away. I I want that verse to be longer. I want to see how that worked. Like, I think, you know, Jesus is kind of riding their hands, and he's just like, ah, these guys are so crazy. All right, well, I'll make it really dramatic. We'll get all the way to the cliff, and then I'll push pause. And then I'll just slide off their hands, you know, and I'll tap them on the head. Silly little men, silly little men. And then I'll just walk off to where they can't see me, and then I'll hit the pause button again. And then I'll be like, three. One, two, three, right? And we'll throw him off the cliff. And he, where'd he go? Where'd he go? I don't know where he is. Wouldn't you like to have been there? So many cool miracles that only get a sentence in the Bible. I want video, right? But the question I have for you is this as we close. Where are you with the man in the scroll? Where are you at? Some of you aren't, you aren't believing in him yet. And I will tell you, spiritually speaking, why that's happening. You're caught in a prison called your sin. You're refusing to see it. You're, you're, you're torn by the things that are broken in your life. And, it, and it's holding you back from the, one who, the only one who can save you. Un, until you see your condition, that you're poor, you'll never understand the gospel. And I pray that today is your day that you do. But listen, all of you who have received Christ, you got that initial you know, faith bump. You, you know that you're secure in him. You've got eternity to look forward with him. But you, you wrestle day by day with trusting him with just the stuff of your life. Hey, the gospel's for today. The gospel's for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day. The good news of your Savior is that his good news is perpetual. It's for your salvation eternally, and it's for your salvation daily. The moments that you live, you can turn to your Savior and say, I need a hero. Provide for me in this. That's what he wants us to do. It's how the Christ life is lived. So let me pray for you to be able to do that today. God, thanks so much for your word, and I just pray that as as we move forward, uh, we would just be more and more amazed by your son Jesus, by his gospel, that that we would live in in light of his truth and and, and live in expectancy of, of his saving. Thanks for uh, the fact that his, his gospel, your gospel, God, uh, saves us from our sin initially and, and perpetually for always. But thanks that it's available to us on a daily basis in the stuff that we face. We can pray to you and receive from you restoration and recovery and release. Uh, Lord, I want to pray for everybody who's in those situations right now that need that. I pray that they'd come to you in faith, that you'd meet them in those things. And, and even if you don't manipulate their circumstances, make everything better overnight, uh, I pray that they would have peace and, and courage and strength and, and that they would find solace in your grace. Lead us, God, to a life lived for you and a life lived for your son. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you as you go. If you're new, I'd love to say hi to you over here in the